Hello, everybody. My name is Jeff Bogazic, and I want to welcome you back to the Mind for Life podcast. Have a very special conversation today with Dr. Laurie Morocco, and it is all around the topic of civil discourse. I don't know if you have noticed, as I have, just a lack of civil discourse in our society at large today. Uh, One look on social media and you see a lot more uh, polarization, a lot more conflict, a lot more fighting, screaming, shouting um, that we see going around in, in our culture. And this happens not just in politics, but now more and more in the marketplace and in offices and in even families. And so it's a great opportunity for Dr. Morocco to come on and talk to us a little bit about civil discourse. I do want to read her bio to you. Uh, Dr. Morocco has always been an advocate of competent and effective communication, which she believes equips people with the tools for successful personal and professional relationships. She has a BA in communication and public relations, an MA in corporate communication and a PhD in interpersonal communication and ethics from Duquesne University. She's a lifelong learner, dove into higher education and became a full-time tenured faculty member and chair of the communication department at a college in Western Pennsylvania, instrumental in building a $5 million media center on campus. She's now an assistant dean of instruction at a college in Colorado professor, certified master business coach, keynote speaker, corporate leadership trainer, and a working mom of four children. So she does a lot. She's going to be on the program today. And before we get into it, I just want to mention a couple of things. Uh, All of the notes for this podcast are going to be at mindforlife.org forward slash zero six eight there you will find resources for dr morocco's website how to get in touch with her on linkedin instagram and some free resources that we have um, how to start a difficult conversation cheat sheet when you get in those conflict situations and you want to figure out a strategy to communicate your agenda in a way that is constructive so we have a download that for you there and also that i think uh, an article that goes along well with this podcast Podcast, a Nice Person's Guide to Becoming More Assertive. Uh, that's an article that we wrote that kind of gives you a guide for how you can be more assertive and how you can communicate your thoughts, feelings, and emotions with confidence and skill. And so uh, check those out, and I hope that you enjoy the conversation with Dr. Morocco. Thanks so much for coming on the program, Dr. Lori Morocco. We're glad to have you. Um, So maybe a good way to get started is just for you to share a little bit about what you do, a little bit about yourself, uh, just to get our, our, our audience oriented around you a little bit. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's so great to connect with a an alumni mm-hmm. of mine. Uh, so I do, I wear a lot of hats. I'm not sure which one I'm wearing today, maybe all of them, but um, I am an uh, academic dean at a college here in Colorado. Um, I also still teach. So I teach in the field of communication and business, um, not only for my college, but for two other major universities. Um, and also, um, a few years ago, I, I took all that theory that I was teaching my students in business and communication and soft skills. And I decided that I wanted to, to take that and parlay it 
into the business world. So take it to the marketplace, mm-hmm. right? And um, start working with people who need better communication skills. And so I have a, a coaching business and I do corporate training and a keynote speaker. So today we're here to talk a little bit about one of those things that I've talked about in the past, which is uh, civil discourse. Civil discourse. So what, um, before you became an academic dean, you were a communication professor. Yes. Right. And why communication? Why did that, did you take that route? Very interesting. If I psychoanalyze myself, it's probably because (laughs) I love my mother, but it's probably because she wasn't a great communicator. Mm-hmm. And so she communicated by not communicating, by not having the hard conversations. And I'm assuming I just felt that frustration from an early age. So I bounced around undergrad for a while. I hopped to some different majors, landed in communication, found my home, right? Found my academic home. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I knew that I just wanted to keep learning more and more and more. Like, true academics do. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go get my master's degree in communication. So I did that, but in a different realm in corporate communication. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years after that, um, I went and got my PhD in communication, mm-hmm. <laughs> more in rhetorical theory though. So more theory based, but all of the areas, I mean, I just can't, as you know, we cannot not communicate, right? Right. We are always communicating and it's a fascinating topic to me. And it's such a big umbrella and there's so many areas under it that we can study and learn and apply. And I love the idea of praxis, theory informed action. So we take the theory and we apply it to real life. To me, what, how can it get any better than that? Right. Yeah. And what you're doing now bringing that praxis into the marketplace mm-hmm. uh, is so important, um, especially this topic that we're talking about today, civil discourse. So just to give everybody an idea, if you would just define that or kind of like share what is your perspective on that? What is civil discourse from your perspective? Why do we need it today? Mm-hmm. And why maybe do you feel there's such an absence of it in the general conversation that we uh, all experience. Right. So I can give you a little bit of background why I started speaking on this subject. And it was around election time, which as (laughs) you know, was very contentious for many people. I still know people that have lost friends, um, lost family over it. And so it was around that time that I decided that in the workplace, we needed to talk about it and we needed to be very, very honest with each other. And we need to do things differently because what we were doing, getting angry at each other and blocking people on Facebook and getting angry and mean and nasty, that was not effective. So I thought to myself, I need to do something around this. So, um, actually in another, um, company approached me and said, we need to do something. And I Mm -hmm. said, great, let's do it. And so I spoke about this a lot for probably a year and a half. 
Um, and, and so, but it's obviously, it's still important today. It's, it's not going away. Incivility doesn't go away. And actually there's some statistics that they're, they're maybe about two years old now, but there was a study done where, um, Americans continue to report that there's severe civility deficit in our, in our nation. So 93% of people that they polled said there was a civility problem in society and, even more said that it's a major problem. So looking at the numbers, people are reporting that yes, incivility is going up. And what it is, in my opinion, is that it's, well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not polite communication necessarily, which some people balk at that, but it's not polite. It's not coddling people. Um, It's not saying, um, oh, you're right. I, I give in. There's, you know, you're right. Let's just not talk about it. Um, it's definitely not bullying, but we saw, we see a lot of bullying, especially on social media. Um, it's not name calling. So we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to, um, put threats out there. We've seen all these things when it comes to incivility. So the way I define it is just being really supportive of each other, being respectful, being tolerant, being very deliberate with our communication. So we can be direct and honest, but in addition to that, we also have to be supportive and brave. And we can talk in a little bit about safe spaces versus brave spaces, but it's an area where people can come together and and it might get a little bit hot. They can share their ideas and I may not agree with you, but we can sit in a room together and we can talk about them Mm -hmm. and maybe we leave and we don't agree and that's okay. Right. Yeah. The, so question for you Yeah. and, and I'm asking to speculate. Mm -hmm. It did, it seems like in past ages Mm -hmm. um, that there was not the incivility around political discourse. Mm -hmm. Um, It seemed like people could disagree and kind of like go their own way. And that was not at the forefront, but yet now you often hear of I'm, I'm losing all my friends or I can't talk with my family members or I'm disowning my kids over these political issues, has something changed or are people that much more partisan or what's your thought on that? Um, I would attribute it to social media Mm -hmm. and we have the keyboard warriors who can go on social media and attack people and essentially remain anonymous if they have a, a fake right. account or something. I think social media is a huge part of that. We know that people are very brave when they're sitting behind their computer. Right. They will not say those same things to somebody's face if they were sitting in front of them. So it's a false sense of, of security, I think, just having access to social media mm-hmm. and expressing. I think people have always had an opinion politically. Right. But we just are more, maybe more kind or more reserved in what we say to somebody's face. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like, why is it, um, you know, what is it about that medium, you know, your your distance from somebody? So you do have more of a, 
ability to say to say the things to somebody that you would not say to their face. And now we've just got people that are continually doing that. And then these algorithms kind of continually feed that back to you. So you get caught in this echo chamber mm-hmm. um, and continue to do the same thing. So I don't know if there's a way that we're ever going to get over that. Probably not. I mean, I think one of the solutions is having social media take responsibility mm-hmm. for for what's happening. I don't know that they will, right. but they do play a central role um, by continuing to sort of root out. You know, they they could root out nefarious online behaviors and really protect users more. I know that's a giant undertaking, but that's one of the, you know, the ideas behind civil discourse is what can we do to be more civil? And one of them is, is really to look at social media. Right. Um, do you, so I think the, uh, the, the companies, right. Mm-hmm. The social media companies of course are incentivized by profit to mm-hmm. let that continue. Right. Mm-hmm. The more that continues, the more people are on there, you know, the more engagement, quote unquote, they get, the more they can sell advertisements. Um, so I think there's a huge challenge there. Um, what are some things, maybe some other institutions, like practically, when you talk about civil discourse, businesses and things like that, what are some things maybe they can do mm-hmm. to really kind of bring that conversation back into civility? I think it's essential that corporations and business owners, whether small or large businesses, there's a national effort for civil discourse or Mm -hmm. civility. So I think it's important that if those organizations and corporations share their best practices in building a civil workplace and building a culture that revolves around civility and bringing in people to talk about it, a lot of times... Um, people inside corporations, they're too close to the subject matter. And so there's this, a particular incident happening, you know, and uh, I worked with a company where um, a large part of the employees were Hispanic and the other half was white people and they weren't talking to each other. It wasn't, it wasn't because of anything bad. It's just, they weren't talking, Right. but the managers didn't know how to bring those two groups together. And so I came in and I talked about ways that we we could work together and sort of meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be polar opposites on issues. We can come to the middle and have conversations. I actually had my students do that um, for one of their projects. I always like to do microcosm of society projects right. where they get to step outside of the protected bubble of the ivory walls and they and they go out and and they wow, they, they learned a lot um, just by interacting with people who are different than they are with different perspectives. And that's part of civil discourse. So I think, I think corporations can do that. Um, And then if we talk about other institutions like government entities or religious groups, even, you know, academia, educational Mm -hmm. bodies, again, bringing those diverse points of view forward and then working together to develop solutions. Mm-hmm. That's essential. We have to highlight the contentious issues of what's happening that's right. causing incivility and anger and hatred and hostility. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about a little bit, 
those differences, right? Mm-hmm. You you talk about the company that you were ta- you were working with. Mm-hmm. What those differences in this day and age typically will devolve into conflict. Um, and what are maybe some constructive ways that we can organizations can or individuals can mm-hmm. engage in engage those differences mm-hmm. uh, in a constructive way? Well, I think the number there there have to there has to be some guidelines, some practical guidelines for civil discourse that should really be rooted in the mission statement mm-hmm. of the organization. And so I encourage companies to look through the lens of social equity mm-hmm. and are there practices um, open to everybody? So, for example, um, he, where I live, um, the 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 town has their meetings at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. People are invited. Well, not all parents, moms or dads can come at five o'clock. It's right. dinner time. It's homework time. Maybe they don't have transportation to get there at five o'clock. So I think looking through a social equity lens is essential. Mm-hmm. I also think some other practical guidelines would include being open-minded. I mean, you know, we preach this in academia, right? I mean, at least I do. You have to be open-minded. You don't have to agree with your classmate, but you owe them enough respect to hear them out right? And to hear their point of view and then have a dialogue about it. Um, and there's so many, you know, having empathy, um, being humble, um, having respect, finding that common ground. So what is it that we can agree on? So I'm over on this side and you're on this side, but what do we have in the middle? What are the things that we can talk about or come together to discuss? Also, I think having a growth mindset is so important right. because while it may be a very difficult pill for me to swallow, to hear a different opinion than mine, how else am I going to grow as a human, right. as an educator? I'm not if I stay within this closed mindset of thinking. Right. So, you uh, you make a great point there about... Um, being open-minded, a growth mindset. You talk about humility, respect. These are a lot of things that I think people and hope for, strive mm-hmm. for, but mm-hmm. usually don't end up getting there, you know? And um, it's, it, I think you talked about just developing an attitude that you don't know it all, Mm-hmm. that other people out there may know something you don't mm-hmm. and are coming from a different perspective and entering into that conversation from that, you know, from that ground of I'm, I'm here to bring a perspective, but recognizing I don't know it all. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we both had Dr. Calvin Traup as a professor. And one of the words that he always used to me was in some intellectual humility, Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that you get you you have to come into it going i don't know everything um and so i think that's good another thing you mentioned there which i thought was really smart was you know this idea of and i don't know how you talked about it but this idea of the safe space of mm-hmm. moving beyond that safe space and you talk about brave spaces versus safe spaces. So talk a little bit about that, because I think that's quite, 
unique and not very prevalent in culture today. Yes. So the idea of safe space, um, I believe it originally started in higher ed Mm -hmm. and we'd go through the safe zone training and get a sticker that we could put on our door that said safe space. Mm -hmm. And that they really actually made you do that. Oh yeah. Like you had to go through training and yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like what did they, what did they make you do for like to make a safe space? What was the training? Well, that's the irony of it all. I mean, we went through a class to learn how to be accepting and protective and um, making students, I mean, physically feel safe. Right. Did you have to have like, uh, you know, therapy dogs and stuff like that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Crayons, you know. Yeah, at my at my kids' uh, school where they went, they they did bring in therapy dogs after the election, um, and they canceled classes and gave everybody pizza. Oh so, so that I guess would be a safe space, right? But what they didn't do <laughs> is, which I think is, I love dogs. Bring puppies to me all day right. long. Right. Um, but the difference is, is that a safe space sort of. Um, it's not always safe. How do right. I guarantee the safety of my students? If my right. LGBTQ student comes into my office, can I guarantee that it's a safe space? Can I put them in a bubble and wrap them in bubble wrap and say, nothing is going to hurt you inside this room. Right. Therefore I'm not going to say anything that upsets you or hurts your feelings. Um, that's a safe space. I don't think that I can guarantee that to anybody. Right. So then we look at the idea of a brave space. So it's all those things, yet we encourage people to be accountable. Mm -hmm. We encourage people to participate in conversations. We encourage people to respond to others' questions. So we, we give a space where people can share their stories and other people can ask questions for the sake of learning and growth mindset. Um, And then we set realistic and attainable expectations. So again, in this brave space, I encourage everybody to speak up and ask questions and be vulnerable. I can't guarantee that maybe your feelings aren't going to get hurt. I can't do that brave space because it's about being brave and asking questions that you're curious about. Right. Why do you live that lifestyle? I don't understand. Please explain it to me. Please help me understand. Yeah. Rather than avoiding the topic at all. And just not even addressing it. Right. Calling it safe. Right. Do you, have you gotten pushback on that? Like, has that not been good for your students? Have they been in cases uncomfortable having that? Yes. And um, this is when uh, we uh, are, we had some undocumented students in the classroom Mm -hmm. and a student gave his speech on immigration and and Mm -hmm. undocumented. And it was a little, it was one-sided. It was, right. a, it was a persuasive speech. It right. was one-sided. He took a stand and I could read the room and I could see that my DACA students were very uncomfortable and they right. started talking to each other and I saw some side by conversation. So I stopped the class and I said, I f- can see that there's, this is uncomfortable for right. someone. Let's talk about it. And it was really difficult to get those students to speak up and stand up for themselves and share, but they did. They finally did. And I explained, this is a, this is a place for learning. Right. We're going to hash it out. We're going to talk about it. And then we're going to leave 
and we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, to be able to foster dialogue in those type of situations rather than just one person walking out, canceling someone else or one mm-hmm. person walking out, canceling someone else for everybody to be able to share their perspective. And then, and then you can, you know, I mean, I guess you can argue about it or you can debate about it, but you need to respect the other person's perspective. And that's really what you're talking about when it's civil discourse, right? Exactly. You can disagree, but other people have different perspectives and opinions. Uh, and you need to be able to respect that that's their position and that's their, uh, I was thinking um, about that, you know, cause we, we, I think are dealing with a generation that's growing up. Um, they've talked about, it used to be helicopter parents, right? Now it's lawnmower or snowblower parents that just want to blow away every obstacle that's in front of their kids. And these kids are now entering higher education and ultimately a world where they're not prepared to deal with adversity or difference. Um, And it's, it's a tragedy, I would say, because as much as we would like the real world to be the fairy topia that everybody wants it to be, we know it's not that, and you're going to have to engage that world. Um, I often want to say to parents, what were the things in your life that were the areas and opportunities of the most growth for you? Without a doubt, and pretty much without question, when asked that, we all would say it was the most challenging times. The most challenging times in our lives when we were uncomfortable or we had to move beyond that area that we were familiar with, that's where we really found the the opportunity to grow and to learn and to move beyond ourselves. And yet, we want to take away those experiences from our own kids mm-hmm. and prevent them from going through difficulties or having difficult conversations. So I commend you on that. And uh, I wish you all the best. It's a, you're in a tough spot, you know, and dealing with that, dealing with those things. But, you know, I think that's important how we prepare our, our students in the next generation. I mean, how are you going to take, how are you going to, how are you going to handle a Putin <laughs> you know, he's not nice. He's mm-hmm. going to say things you don't like, yep. you know, you can't just get a therapy dog out and color pictures, <laughs> right. You got to lead the world, you yeah. know? Yeah. So uh, I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, how, how do you do that? You know, do you talk about that with your students? Do you bring that up? Like, Hey, let's talk about being brave. And, and how, how does that gone over? I do. I'm, I talk more about being open-minded in a growth mindset mm-hmm. because that to me is just essential. I, I taught for a small school, um, maybe 1200 students at the time, mm-hmm. very, very white school, very privileged children. It was a private school. And um, so again, <laughs> taking my students outside their comfort bubble. Um, I took them, we, we went to, um, a place that was, um, had a lot of poverty in our community and we worked with students. We worked with homeless people. And one of my students said, I've never seen a black person in my life. Like, Whoa. Right. Like I, if you're in my class, you're going to learn about diversity, right? You're going to experience 
experience it. It's going to be uncomfortable. And we were in an area that was not great compared to the college campus, which was pretty and pristine and protected. And, right. but you know, if you don't get the opportunity, like you said, to experience something that's challenging and difficult, how are you going to grow? How are you going to know what life is like for the other person? Right. So yeah. I mean, literally they had to be brave because they had to go into, you know, low income housing and, and talk, like talk to people face to face and gather their stories. So, I mean, they were safe. We obviously wasn't going to put them in harm's way, but it was brave in that a lot of them had never been to an inner city. Right. And for me, I was like, thank you. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. I want my students to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Right. I want them to feel what it feels like for things to be different than the way they were raised mm-hmm. or brought up. And I want them to see not everybody's like you. Right. I don't want ethnocentrism. I don't mm-hmm. want students thinking my way is the best way. Right. So I'm always challenging them, always challenging them to step outside their comfort zone uh, and just experience the world. Right. Yeah. And as you get more and more out of that, you start to learn that you can do it, you yes. know, and you get out of your world and that gives you the opportunity to experience different perspectives, mm-hmm. uh, understand more of the world than your own narrow, you know, point of view and, and start to be able to empathize, you know, and have empathy for people and bring compassion and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and bring help and, you know, all of that stuff is great. So mm-hmm. that's incredible. <laughs> um, let's talk about practical things we can all do to be more civil in our discourse mm-hmm. and to maybe de- um, diffuse Mm -hmm. others when it is not civil. Right. Well, the first thing I will say is that you really need to know when you need to walk away. Mm -hmm. So if you have all your tools in your toolkit and they're not working, it's okay to walk away, Mm -hmm. you know, shake hands and walk away. I don't like to say agree to disagree, but just hear acknowledging that you heard the other person Mm -hmm. you heard where they're coming from you don't agree and we'll go our separate ways and live our lives and things will be fine so that's probably um a really big one that that's okay to do be gracious and walk away Mm -hmm. but i can talk about some some best practices that i do So the main thing is let's learn to listen without interrupting. Really, really hard to do, especially when it's a passionate topic and one person has strong opinions, the other person has strong opinions, listening, zipping it, and just being quiet and letting them talk. Hard to do, but very important. Mm -hmm. Also asking genuine open-ended questions, you know, instead of saying, Oh, you don't really believe that, do right. you? You could say something like, well, what evidence have you seen that makes you believe that? I love to start with the words, I'm curious. Uh-huh. Why? Yeah. I'm, I'm really, because I generally am curious. Yeah. I really want to know. Um, so, so that's, you know, just being genuine, asking open-ended questions. Really important to maybe take a pause before responding 
bring it down, take a moment, gather your thoughts and, and then respond because this lets the other person know that you are really considering what they said and that they are hearing you and listening to you. Uh, nonverbal and facial expressions. Wow. Um, my nonverbal, very, I'm very, <laughs> it's very hard to hide my nonverbal communication, <laughs> especially facial expressions. Right. Um, so, but be mindful of your tone and your facial expressions. Um, control your emotional responses if you can. Some people get very angry. That's just the way they are by nature. Taking a breath, bringing it down, being aware. Um, that's really, really helpful. Also acknowledging that their their points are valid, even though they're opposite of what you think, or they don't exactly match what you think. They are valid points of speaking. And then uh, I guess another one that I would want to talk about is one that you brought up. It's okay to say, I don't know. And right. as teachers, I mean, I was taught like, oh, I'm the professor. I should have all the answers. You better, but I have no issue saying, I don't know. Right. That's a great question. Let's talk about it. Who else in the class can, can talk about this or let's get out our phones and let's Google it and let's see and have a discussion about it. So yes, it makes us vulnerable, but it also makes us real and human Yeah, humans being in the world. Yeah. And I think that's a great strength to have is to say, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, that's a, that's a tough one for people to say, mm -hmm. right? Especially if you're a professor and you've got a PhD, mm -hmm. you're expected to know it. But mm -hmm. one of the things I think you would agree with me is that as the more you learn, the more you know how much you don't know, you know, and how much, like when you start reading like all this stuff and you go, my goodness, there's more stuff out here mm -hmm. that I've got no clue about, Right. And uh, to be able to have that humility is important. I, I really liked what you said about I'm curious, starting it yeah. out. That's great. <laughs> you know, to that really sets up your own, you know, your own position that no, yes. Are, are you really here to learn mm -hmm. from someone else? Are you really here to listen and ask questions and explore rather than to pontificate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's great. I mean, I'm, I generally am curious. I'm curious why you said that, or I'm, I'm curious why you think that. Tell me, tell me more. Yeah. Non-threatening. It's a non-threatening way to engage people in conversation. Yeah. And it's almost a personal reminder. Are you really curious? Are you really interested in this? You know, if you're going to say that, have integrity in it right. and really be interested in what that person's saying and, and and tune yourself to what they're actually saying instead of thinking about what you're going to say next, right? right? Exploring their position, re-articulating that back to them instead of just thinking, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to counter their argument or how am I going to put my two cents in here or whatever? So right. that's really awesome. Uh, let me ask you this question. You're now going out and doing consulting and uh, working with businesses, what are the, what are the challenges that you find in doing that? Uh, how well accepted is your, your presentations on this? And do you feel like that's being accepted and, and those businesses are benefiting? Yes. Um, and a lot of this gets wrapped into the big topic of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And mm -hmm. sometimes now we add 
justice to that mm-hmm. um, and, and dialogue. So still it, it was, a, DEI was a hot button for a long time right. and everybody needed especially after the, the racial issues that we had going on in our country, mm-hmm. the, the defunding the police. And so in that moment, everybody, all companies like, oh my gosh, we need to up our DEI game. Right. We don't have that in our company. So there's a lot of um, need for that. And civil discourse sort of got wrapped into that when I would speak and present. Mm-hmm. It's just part of it you know, discourse, right. we all communicate, we have to communicate. So it's still, it's still obviously very, very important. The subject of DEI and acknowledging um, people's differences and the inequities and what's happening with people who work together all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the challenge would be always finding the next thing that people need to know. Mm-hmm. Because as you might remember, our friend, Dr. Ronald Arnett mm-hmm. would say the most dangerous people are those who don't know that they don't know. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So um, if you don't know what you don't know, that's scary. Yeah. That's a scary thing. So just helping finding the pain points for organizations mm-hmm. and saying, because everybody will be different, you know, where you live will be different. Um, culturally, it'll be different. So you kind of have to look at the organization as a whole, figure out what the pain points are, and then figure out what they need to know so that they could be in harmony and mm-hmm. kind and good to each other. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Yeah. No, you, your area is so broad and so necessary you know, civil discourse Mm -hmm. addresses a lot of issues, right? Mm -hmm. Workplace conflict, diversity, issues of diversity, uh, issues of inequity, you know, uh, it's such a broad range and so, so needed. What are like some practical tips that you give to businesses right from the start, maybe on how to find out what they don't know? And then what are some best practices that they can implement? I mean, do you suggest that they start policies or? Right. Yeah. How does that work? Well, um, so a lot of times, again, people don't know what they don't know. So they'll bring in somebody like me, a, a consultant or a business coach, and and I'll say, I'll sort of ask them, like we we really unpack what's happening. What are what's happening in your organization? Mm-hmm. Why are people not getting along? Tell me more about that. And then from there, I would develop uh, a work an interactive workshop. And a lot of times, it's not just me lecturing at people. No way. It's very, very interactive. So we do a lot of role plays. We do a lot of scenarios like, well, person A is having an issue with person B. And so as a group, they have to come up with solutions. So they actually gain practical experience and scripts and dialogue that they might be able to use in actual real life scenarios that are really happening in that organization. Uh So I think having people think through it and um, come up with things that they can actually, that are practical. So I'm all about practicality. Right. I can teach theory all day long, but if it doesn't connect, then I'm just on my pulpit, right? Yeah. I'm just up there preaching and nobody's really getting it. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the process I go through with, with organizations. I really want to tailor my message to their needs. Mm-hmm. And 
and it again it just varies from from place to place so some things um, that I would suggest is that the organization would um, allow opportunities for their employees to have brave spaces mm-hmm. and let, and I actually do that when I'm coaching and we'll create these, these pockets of time where I say to them, you will not be reprimanded. And this mm-hmm. is with agreement of all of the managers and right. the higher ups, they're guaranteed that whatever they say in these workshops, they can't get in trouble for it. Right. Because a lot of people don't want to speak up sure. because they feel that they may be reprimanded for right. it. Right. So just creating opportunities where people can speak and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing's gonna happen to them. So that those are the situation, those are the kinds of things that I that I suggest for mm-hmm. organizations. Do the do the bosses take that well? <laughs> They do, believe it or not, because they don't want to be having these conversations with people. Right. These are hard conversations. Yeah. People don't like having hard conversations. They don't like conflict situations. Right. So if somebody else comes in, they'll throw their hands up and say, great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> please, please fix it. Take it. Yes. Right. <laughs> and they agree. And they have to, there has to be buy-in. If there's not buy-in, then, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's great. Um, I think it's important what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, have I missed anything? I mean, we could talk for days. <laughs> <laughs> we probably could. And, and, and it would be necessary. Um, just for the audience, uh, tell everybody where they can get a hold of you. And if you've got any resources or things that they can contact you at, what your website is and all of that. Yes. Thank you so much for that. So my website is my name, lauriemorocco.com. And I suppose you'll, you'll put that up at some mm-hmm. point, but it's my name, lauriemorocco.com. And in there, you'll see the different topics that are sort of new for 2023. And just based on what I'm hearing from the world, these are important topics. Um, social equity is a big one uh, that I that I talk about with businesses just to see if their business is socially equitable to their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so my website is the best place to go from there. You can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, and I'm always posting upcoming events. Got a couple of things happening where people can join virtually or in person if you're mm-hmm. in Colorado, but, and I'm, I love to talk to people. So if anybody has a question in your audience, certainly we can set up a time just to chat and talk about things. That's great. And you're not out there blasting people on social media. Fair to say. I'm tr- I try to be very civil. Correct. On Good. social media. <laughs> well, uh, Lori, thanks so much for being here. Dr. Lori Morocco and the website is lorimorocco.com. Correct. Yeah. We'll have the links for all of that. And Hey, I appreciate you coming on and talking for a couple minutes about just a huge, a huge topic. So important today. And, Thank you for what you're doing and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you have enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Lori Morocco here on the Mind for Life podcast. Again, she had some incredible uh, areas of interest to maybe go back and listen to a definition and introduction to civil discourse, why families are dividing over political discourse and disagreement, get her take on some of that, some constructive ways to 
organizations can engage differences among stakeholders, uh, brave spaces versus safe spaces, which I thought was just really, really smart and an incredible opportunity for people uh, to open up opportunities to have some difficult discussions and difficult conversations in a way that can be productive and constructive. And then again, some practical strategies for individuals and organizations when it comes to civil discourse. Again, all of the information about this podcast is on our website, mindforlife.org forward slash 068. I want to encourage you to take a look at Dr. Morocco's website. You can find her website, her Instagram, and her LinkedIn links right again on our website at the, um, at the notes page for this podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed the time and that it has been productive and constructive for you. And I hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you next time. <music>